the main thing I'll take away is that I was able to do it. It's something that potentially pushed me out of my comfort zone a little bit and just the feeling that I was able to get down there and back and be more or less in one piece. Welcome to the Crossing It Off podcast, where we believe living with intention through a bucket list lifestyle is a great way to bring yourself personal joy. As you are crossing items off your list, you're actually filling up your bucket. The more items you cross off, the more joy gets added, until eventually your joy spills over into the lives of those around you. Now let's start crossing it off together. When you plan to cross an item off your bucket list, how much time do you spend preparing yourself for the unknown, for things that... You didn't know existed. Well, our bucket list storyteller today spent a lot of time preparing for a very, very long road trip. All that time he spent planning, there were things that came up, like other things he wanted to see, or like unexpected travel issues. Do you prep yourself for the unknown? Do you allow yourself to experience things that you didn't know were going to happen? Well, our bucket list storyteller did that. We're going to learn just how as we start crossing it off. At this time, I'd like to welcome my bucket list storyteller. His name is Martin Fletcher. He describes <laughs> himself as an itinerant motorhome tramp. Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Roger. Yeah. So tell the listeners, what did you cross off your bucket list? This winter, I drove my motor home. She's called Abby from the UK down to Dakar in Senegal. Wow. And how long of a trip? I mean, not time-wise, but mileage or kilometer wise what would that be that is a round trip of about four thousand miles or so maybe wow. four and a half thousand okay <laughs> that's, a, that's a long trip uh so tell us why did this trip wind up on your bucket list what was going on in your life that you said i've got to do this long haul drive so when covid began back in 2020 i used to be living in london but then all of my work went remote. And so I decided that I'd take the advantage of being able to buy a motorhome and drive around. So over the last few years, I've done quite a few big trips. Um, I think the furthest I've got is Albania. But Mm. I really just wanted to see how far south I could keep driving until somebody told me to stop. And It's also good to do it in the winter because I just like being in places that are about 25 degrees Celsius. And if I can just (laughs) keep going north and south, then, yeah, that works pretty well. So you didn't have necessarily a a specific destination? Like the car was not the the end point? It was just like, I'm just going to go and see how far I can make it? Yeah, I wanted to get to Dakar just because it is quite a famous destination to get to. It's kind of considered the far end of the Sahara Desert, so you can really say that you've crossed it once you get there. It's possible to carry on down to Gambia, which is also a pretty easy extra step to do. But personally, I decided not to do that this time. Yeah, so it was always in my mind that I'd get to at least Dakar. So you had some kind of you know end destination in mind. How did you plan that? trip what were some of the things you did to prepare yourself before you even got her ready and and motoring on down the road so the first thing is just looking at what the bureaucracy involved in doing a trip like that is so i don't know what it's like for american listeners but in the uk the british government keeps a pretty comprehensive up-to-date website with travel advice 
and it'll explain to you what visas you might need to get into countries, how long you can stay there, what you might need to import a vehicle. And so that's just a very good first part of call when putting the plans together for something like this. For us in the States, it would be the State Department's website, and I'll put that in the show notes. They would be able to tell you travel advisories and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a very good first part of call, something like that. And so once I'd done that research and just seen that it was possible to do this, it was then just a matter of arranging things like getting my ferries that I was going to need to get. So one thing that, particularly when I've been talking to Americans who might not necessarily know the geography as well, they've been fairly surprised that you can get a ferry from Europe to Africa. Right, through Spain, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's about 30 minutes on a ferry. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so there was an element of getting things like that ready, making sure that my van was actually going to be able to do the trip as well, because it's not necessarily dangerous driving across the Sahara. If you break down, somebody will stop to pick you up, but it does... It does help save a bruised ego if you make sure the van is up to the trip first. Yeah, there was a fair bit of planning involved. Martin, tell us what are some of the, like the highlights. This is a lot of you know ground to cover, literally. But what are some of the, the special things that you remember, the stories that you brought back with you? Yeah, there were a lot of highlights on the trip. One of the really big ones for me, and one of the things that I had really wanted to do when I set out, was go on this train that is in Mauritania. So Mauritania doesn't really have much in terms of public transport. There is a train line that goes from the second city in the country, which is called Nuladibu, out to this mining town called Zurat. And it's it exists to take iron ore from the mine to the port. It's the longest train in the world. It carries an Eiffel Tower's worth of iron each time it goes. And you don't have to pay anything to ride it. You basically just jump up on top of the iron ore and sit on it and ride across the desert for 20 hours. So that was a real highlight. Imagine, were there like other people? Like, was this like a were locals using it as transportation and were there visitors using it for something else how did, what did it look like on top of that car as far as other people yeah so it's a bit of a mixture there are locals who will use it to get to this mine site presumably for their jobs but you do get quite a lot of backpackers as well doing it so there was me another british friend of mine who'd flown out to do it and there was a handful of other Brits and Norwegians as well on our ca- on our carriage. And we all met up and sat together on one of the carriages and kept each other company playing some very boring games of I Spy in the middle of the <laughs> desert. And How did you find out about adding that experience to this road trip that you're taking in your camper? I found out about that when I was looking at things that I could be doing in Mauritania. It it's a country that is a little bit off the beaten track in terms of tourism and so if you start searching for things to do there it is one of the first things that comes up and as soon as I saw it and I saw the pictures of it I thought that looks amazing I definitely have to do that that's that's going on the bucket list 
below my bucket list trip. Yeah, no, no, stacking stuff up is great. If you can do multiple things at a time, I think that's uh, that's financially and time wise, it's a good thing. What What are some of the other memories that you have from the trip? One of the other really big points for me was actually when I reached Dakar, just because it is quite an achievement making it down that far. Um, when you're in Dakar, you're on the most westerly point in Africa. So I just drove out to the end of the Cape, essentially, so that I could stand there and be most westerly person in Africa, which was quite a nice end to that part of the trip. Of course, it's only halfway through the whole trip because I had to come all the way back again. Right. And so coming back, was there a different experience? I I remember walking the Camino and every once in a while, I would stop and turn around and look behind me because when you do something like that, you're going one direction and you're not coming back. So how was that for you when you were, what kind of perspective did you have on the trip going back to the UK? Coming back, I had a better idea of how it was all going to work. So when I'd been going down, the border crossings were a bit of an unknown entity to me. And going back up, I was obviously a bit more well-versed in it. But it also just gave me an opportunity to perhaps drop in on some of the things that I'd not done on the way down. So on my way back up, I climbed up Mount Tubkal, which is the highest mountain in North Africa. It's just over, well, just shy of 4,200 metres, and I've never walked anything like that before. So it was, again, just a great opportunity to push myself and well, do something that I wouldn't have usually done. Martin, was there anything that happened on the trip, good or bad, that you hadn't prepared for, that you were like in the midst of it, you're like, oh my gosh, I did not expect to have to be doing this right now? Yes. When I was crossing the border into Senegal, there's two crossings that you can choose from um, if you're in a vehicle. And on the way down, I went over the busier crossing and i did end up falling into a bit of a scam situation there here at the crossing it off podcast we are passionate about inspiring you and your bucket list lifestyle and empowering you to live out your list we offer many resources to assist you in your bucket list journey such as web resources in the show notes bucket list mentoring services my book live out your lists a private facebook group for you to share your bucket list success stories with others and more all of these can be found at crossingitoffpodcast.com Find the resource that fits your need so that you can live out your list. Now back to the show. So what you find at the borders, so particularly at Mauritania and then heading in Senegal, you'll have people milling around who are acting as guides. And usually for about 10 euros or so, they'll help you with all of the bureaucracy. And it can be really handy that if, particularly if you don't speak, Arabic or French right? but I ended up falling in with a group who kind of got my van locked up and I ended up losing rather a lot of money mm. and that was that was a pretty it, it certainly wasn't an experience I was expecting I managed to get through it and it didn't stop me from doing the rest of my trip but it was yeah certainly outside of my plans <laughs> Martin, 
what were some of the other border crossings like? Was that dangerous situations or was it just easy? Like, here's my visa, here's my passport and you go. The other main border crossing that you have on the way down is when you're crossing from Western Sahara, which is essentially part of Morocco, into Mauritania. And it can seem a little bit intimidating just because it you are crossing a section of no man's land, which doesn't it doesn't belong to Mauritania and it doesn't really belong to Morocco either. It belongs to this separatist group called the Sawahiri Arab Democratic Republic, and it's essentially a minefield. And so when you are crossing this area, you're under very strict instructions that if you break down, you do not get out of your van. (laughs) And I think it can, well, certainly it does raise hairs a little bit when I mention it to people, but the key point I probably want to emphasise as a takeaway is that hundreds and hundreds of lorries cross this every day without Mm -hmm. any trouble so i'm sure if you do take your time and watch out for potholes then you will yeah you won't have a problem with it what was the feeling like just driving knowing what was on the side you know i mean i've driven on some crazy roads but like nothing like that so were you were you white knuckling the steering wheel or were you just like okay i'm cool with this i'm gonna get through it you've certainly got to concentrate as you're going across the road is pretty poorly maintained so you're crawling across at about 10 miles an hour it wasn't scary as such i'd I'd say it's just more really interesting because you are just in this empty well i mean it's a desert of course everything's empty but this really empty patch of land in between these two countries that isn't really a place and it's yeah, it's an unusual experience. And we're, I'll ask you in a little bit, like for generally for the overall trip, you know, what's what kind of advice would you give somebody? But if you had to do that situation again, what would would you do differently? How would you make sure that that didn't happen? Or is there is that even a possibility? I think it is possible to avoid those kind of things. I think the nature of that sort of trip is that from time to time you might get stung with small issues well you might get stung with kind of small scams but i was discussing this with a friend of mine a little while ago and we were saying about the importance of just being able to say no and extract yourself from a situation which i'm absolutely dreadful at i would (laughs) rather crawl naked over um, broken glass than (laughs) stoke a conflict with somebody but every now and again you do need to have have the ability to tell people to f off which i got a lot better at after that incident i bet i bet you did Uh, so let's just go there for the for the overall big trip if someone said i think i'd like to do that too what would you say would be like the number one thing you would besides just do it right because if we're excited and passionate something that's what we say but what is like some practical or you know advice you would give them for planning or, or doing this trip as a whole I'd say do your research to begin. Make sure that you have a reasonable understanding of how long you're able to spend in each country, what you need to be doing in, a, in terms of getting vehicles over borders. The other thing I would say is, particularly if you are doing this trip down to Dakar, 
as I mentioned, there are two border crossings. And the one where I had some trouble was a border crossing called Rosso, which is where you end up crossing the river. The other crossing, which is how I came back, is called Diana, which is a lot quieter. It's a lot easier to work out what's going on. The one downside of that is that you have to drive on this 45-mile dirt track through the desert. Mm. So if you are going to go that way, make sure your vehicle's up to it and you're not doing it in the rainy season. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Martin, looking back on it, when you were done, when you had got into the car and you come back to, to the UK and you were back in your flat, what kind of change happened inside you? Was there something that you would took away from this experience that you knew would make you see the world differently? Well, actually, I'm not back in my flat yet. I'm still on the way back to the UK. Um, (laughs) I get back to the UK in about a week and a half. But certainly coming to the end of this, it's taken six months to go down there and come back. And I think the main thing I'll take away is that I was able to do it. It's something that potentially pushed me out of my comfort zone a little bit and just the feeling that I was able to get down there and back and be more or less in one piece um, was something that I really can take away. I think the other thing is that when you're in Morocco and Mauritania, beer is quite hard to come by and so yeah it's also done my waistline quite good as well there you go (laughs) that's a that's a good information to have awesome so tell us martin what is something else that you want to cross off your bucket list i'm actually just beginning to cross another thing off so i am parked up in santiago de campostela right now and i'm just about to start doing the portuguese route of the um of the camino so where are you going to start from well actually i started out this morning from tui and i did the first about 25 kilometers and then i've just just moved my van to santiago and then i'm gonna get a bus back down and stay in hostels for a few stops and hopefully should have that done by sunday and i think that's that's my next bucket list thing that i'm working on right now that's awesome. What made you decide to put that on the list during this other major trip you're doing? Well, I first heard about that about five years ago or so. So I, I never remember it being a big thing as I was growing up, but it has become a lot more prominent in the last few years. And I've always just thought that looks like a really fun thing to do. I love doing my long distance hikes and seeing as I was passing through on the way back to the UK, it just seemed to make perfect sense to do it now. And just a, a small report from your first day, like, was <clears throat> is there anything that you thought it would be, or is it just, this is good? I mean, how, what's your first day impressions? It's going all right at the moment. I'll have to watch out for blisters, but beyond that, it's... Um, just just very enjoyable particularly because it is such a popular route and so you're always with other hikers and talking to people and i think that just makes it a very nice communal experience i mean i'm i'm not a religious person by any means but being able to do it with these large groups and you know do a pilgrim route that people have been doing for centuries is just a very interesting thing 
That's awesome. Uh, yes, the Camino is all those things. I, I can highly concur. Martin, tell us, where can people engage with you online and what are you doing online? So I have a podcast of my own. It's a, I'm still deciding exactly what it is. It's a kind of a mixture of travel and history at the moment. So we've talked about some of these trips in West Africa I've been doing. I did a short series about a man called Ibn Battuta, who is one of the greatest travellers in history. He travelled 73,000 miles in the 1300s, which is pretty impressive. Very impressive. Um, <laughs> and that, that show's called All Points in Between, so people can find links to those episodes if they have a look on Twitter at All Points Cast. They can get in touch with me through um, email if they look at allpointspod at gmail.com and I think most podcast apps and providers if you just search for all points in between you might have to scroll down quite a bit because at the moment my audience is a handful of friends and about 30 spam bots but you'll find it yeah we'll put all those uh, links in the show notes so people can get directly to the show I think that's awesome Martin Buencamino uh, for, to start off with, uh, good, yeah, good journey uh, to, to Santiago and enjoy that communal time. I appreciate you being on the show. Good luck to you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me.